Welcome back. Today, our topic, we're going to be learning a little bit about customs and costumes, or costumes and customs. And this is a fascinating topic. I want to just uh, thank Shirley. Um, um, Rosenblum, Baum. Mandel, I'm so sorry. Shirley uh, um, Mandelbaum for uh, I'm sending me, the, uh, I had the opportunity of, of teaching Torah in Shirley's house a year and a half ago in Queens at a singles event, and uh, Shirley has been being avidly involved and sends me reminders and and all kinds of uh, ideas. So I one of the one of the things that Suri had, had asked me about was a few a month or two ago was an article that came out in Haaretz in the year 2015. And so this is the article. I just copied it onto the front page. It's not a long article, and it's about Purim, and it really raises some fascinating issues. The point is that whenever you think about Purim and you want to see a Purim flyer for any event in a shul or so on, usually the, the icon or usually the, the picture we're looking at is a picture of masks, right? And Purim costumes, Purim parades, Purim, um, Purim costume competitions we've had in our shul. So there's, there's so many times where that, that seems to be the symbol of Purim. And here's the argument the, the author um, makes about it. So if you take a look in, in line about... Eight in this article, or nine, sorry, seven in this article, dressing up costumes and masks aren't mentioned in the book of Esther. There's no indication that anyone ever dressed up for Purim in the Mishnah, Talmud, or the literature of the Goenim. Nor is there a practice, uh, nor, nor, is so much, nor is the practice so much as mentioned in the writings of Rashi or Maimonides in the High Middle Ages. So where did it come from? It's incredible that the staff at Haaretz has the prerequisite is, is knowing Shas and Poiskim. So it is, uh, that's just first of all, you know, that the Jewish newspapers, no New York, New York Times, you know, contributor has such accolades. But nonetheless, so now that we've got over that, so what, so what is the, um, so, so where does it come from? So here's the argument. He says, the earliest reference to dressing up on Purim is a poem by the pro- a provincial um, from Provence, Jewish writer, Clonimus Ben Clonimus, in the 14th century, Kalonimos has strong ties with Italian Jewry and evidently learned of the practice while living in Rome. He seems to be critical of the practice, though he does not specify why. As to the mosques from Purim, we find the first record in the 15th century by the Paduan um, from Padua, Rabbi Judah Mintz, who is also critical of the practice. So it seems that the, traditional or, uh, the tradition or, uh, originated with Italian Jews in the 14th century. But why actually would they start dressing up on Purim? So here's the, here's the argument. The custom seems to have originated in the Italian practice starting in the 13th century of holding carnivals in the days leading up to Lent. There was a special festival on Fat Tuesday, also called Shrove Tuesday, the day before Lent began. This, pre, this wild pre-Lenten carnivals included masquerading and happened to take place more or less on the same time as Purim. Give or, give or take a few weeks due to differences in the Catholic solo calendar and the Jewish lunar calendar. Since the Jews were already holding banquets on Purim, since the time of the Talmud banquets that included heavy drinking, it isn't surprising that some of the carnival atmosphere got infused into the merrymaking of Purim. And with time, the tradition of dressing up on Purim spread from Italy to other Jewish communities around the world, despite the fact that rabbis often remained critical of the practice. Rabbis were especially appalled by the men dressing up as women and vice versa, since cross-dressing is explicitly forbidden in the Bible. A woman should not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on um, a woman's garments. Yet, some Jews continue to cross-dress on Purim, leading some rabbis to allow the practice on Purim despite biblical censure. So that is the, that is the article. So actually now the article is a little disturbing in the sense that if we do think back to it, it does seem like there are many things we do on Purim. 
But dressing up doesn't seem to be one of the earlier things. We know about the four mitzvahs and Purim, the four mems, Mishlach, Monas, Matonas, Levyonim, Mishteh, and Megillah. We know about those. And we know about a number of the different practices that, uh, that are surrounding Purim, but we don't know about, 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 about masks that was not one of the four mems. Yeah. Okay, so, the, so that, that, seems to be, that, that seems to be the issue. It's a very interesting question. So where does it come from? How does it arrive? And so he's pointing out that the argument is, is because two of the original sources we have are from Rabbonim in Italy, and they're responding to particular practices in a negative way. It sounds like it was an outside influence which arrived from the pre-Lenten custom. By the way, just to appreciate this, Fat Tuesday, what the, and what surrounds Lent is a time of deprivation. Right? So it's a time where people would not eat they would limit themselves. And so the pre-Lent festival was this almost orgy which, which um, um, happens. And then another name you may be familiar with this is Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras right? So what happens in New Orleans, and has been happening there for 400 years, Belgium. right? Is though that came with some of the original pilgrims or the, or the settlers here in America. And that Mardi Gras originated even earlier. It has, it has ties to an ancient pagan festival called Saturnalia. And it was, taught, you know, weeks of disorder, weeks of lack of law, where P, which the Christians adopted later on. Right? The Christians adopted as they were, they were doing Kirov to the pagan world. They, they, they adopted some of their customs into, uh, into, into Christianity. It's very fascinating because this relates a lot to the, the Saturnalia is mentioned in the Gomorrah. It's a, this is a well-known, it's a bewusster minhag in the, in the pagan world. But nonetheless, it, it, this is how it arrives. Fascinating question. So, so as detectives... And as knights in shining armor protecting the tradition of Judaism, what do we do? What do we do about this, about, about this, about this particular argument? By the way, the, the author of this article is most likely to have read the Jewish Encyclopedia's entry called Purim under the subtopic called Masquerading. And, uh, and the, all the research is done there. So if you take a look in Source 2, this is in fact, word for word, the Jewish Encyclopedia's I'm entry under Purim uh, under the subtopic of masquerading, and he says a very similar thing. He quotes a number of, um, and he quotes the, the early customs. He says it comes from the Italian Jews, uh, from the influence of the Roman carnival, and he, um, he quotes an article by Steinschneider, who makes this argument and talks about some of the Rabbonim who were very concerned about this. So what do we do? How do we, uh, how do we, approach this. Where do we start? So one of the ways we start is, let's look at the sources. Right, he quotes, he quotes to us very, very carefully two sources, Klonimus ben Klonimus, and he quotes for us Rav Yehuda Mintz. So let's look at them. They are, these, are not, these are not closed books. We have the opportunity today, we have the distinct opportunity of being able to have centuries and centuries of printing at our fingertips. So let's take a look at them. But beforehand, let's just acknowledge one small interesting fact, and that is the following is that the only evidence we have to play with, so to speak, is evidence of the rabbinic writings of the time, if you think about it. Meaning, we don't have pictures, we don't have the Purim flyers in those shuls in those days, we don't have so many artifacts from those times. So, so therefore, that's a limiting factor. So, as an example, what would the rabbis write today? Let's say we did not have, you know, let's say pictures, we didn't have other media to spread or to, um, or to, to describe what's going on in and the rabbonim of the communities, or the communal leaders, would have to, let's say, talk about practices that are going on. So would we, would we as a community be writing articles, let's say as an example in the Five Towns Jewish Times, 
Or would we be writing articles about standard practices, normal things that are going on? The answer is not really, not necessarily, unless it's a little bit extraordinary, right? Unless it's a little out of the ordinary. Unless there's a line which might be crossed, as an example. So, you know, I remember when I was in Yeshiva in Israel, so Purim was v- taken very seriously, like very seriously. So, you know, at the back of the base medrash during the times of Haman, they used to, I mean, it was very serious, they used to have an effigy of Haman on one stick hanging and an effigy of Mordechai on the other. So, like, when, Mordecai, when Haman's name was mentioned, the effigy of Haman went up hanging and everybody would make a noise. There was one fellow at the back of the base medrash who had a foghorn, right? And there was another guy in the other corner who had cymbals. So you can imagine, it was, I mean, it was very serious, you know, so it wasn't just like, you know, cap guns and, you know, and, you know, and uh, cell phone, cell phone noises. We're talking about like very serious Haman stamping. So like, imagine like, you know, it went too far, you know, one day somebody brings in, you know, I don't know, a drum set. So then there's going to be an article and somebody's going to write, we don't bring drum sets into shul for, for, for Purim, right? So that would be what would be in a certain sense immortalized by being written up. But why? Because it went too far. Does that tell us what was going on the rest of the time? Not necessarily, right? It's only when the step over the red line was made that that article was actually issued. So when we look at these things, we need to be re- realize that we're only looking at extreme cases which are being codified. So that it's very hard to know when the earliest or specifically what the normal practice was. Just to appreciate that in the limitation of what we're doing. So, yeah. Yes. Right, but that's a good example. But so, so Exactly. When it goes to excess, exactly. And I want to come back to that drinking thing for a moment, just in terms of trying to think about our influence from the outside world and internally in just a moment. Let's, let's take a quick look at the two sources that this article references, and then perhaps we'll, we'll expand our scope as well. So here it is. The Rav Kronimus ben Kronimus ben Meir lives in the, uh, from 1286 and dies after the year 1328. We don't know the specific day of his death. He, he moves to, he settled in Avignon, in France, he was, a, he was recognized by the king, I believe his name was Robert, at the, in Avignon. And um, he, was a very, he was an interesting person. If you look at his writings, he has many writings in Torah thought, and he has also has many writings in um, astronomy and mathematics. He's a very well-recognized person, a little bit of an obscure figure in Jewish history. But nonetheless, he wrote, writes a poem um, called Evan Bochan. This is that's the cover page of the reprinting, which has been done by an Aleph member, um, Haberman. And here's what he says when it comes to on page 30, when he talks about this time of the month. So you'll notice, first of all, it rhymes. Right, so you, there's a certain cadence, so we have to read it properly, okay? So let's go, let, let's try that. You see, you lose this when you're, in, when you're reading an Haaretz article. So let's go. So, on the 14th of the month of Adar, the young men of Israel are dressed up in splendor. They will, you know, get, get up in splendor and sort of make frivolous, and they'll become silly, uh, and sometimes become, you know, sort of rowdy. They're doing this to remind of the, 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 the and publicize the uh, miracles, as they wear some sort of splendid garments. I'm not sure what achasim is. And this is to, um, in honor of Mordechai and Esther. So he says some people wear women's clothing. He says, and some of them will act like empty people. So there are people who will pick up the music instruments and they'll be 
cross mingling at the at the at the at the suudas. So, by the way, do you notice over here that it's not clear? It's not clear what he's saying. It's not a halachic sefer. This is simply a description. And in his description, there could you could argue that there is a satire to it. You could say that there's a negativity in it. But he isn't prescribing at this point in time. It seems more like he is describing and perhaps subtly, subtly perhaps giving a judgment call, which is what led the article to say that he, he, is, he is dissenting of that midnight. But nonetheless, he's simply describing this. So we're talking about already over here. In the early 1300s in southern France, um, we are dis- a practice where it seems to be there is cross-dressing which is happening. And it seems to be that it is either done by or accompanied with people who act like Ray Kim, empty people, right? So it doesn't seem like it's a very positive minak. That's the first source. So check, right? We, got, we, we, we see this, so it certainly seems to be um, accurate. The second res- um, idea is written by Rav Yehuda Mintz. So this is the, in his response, in response in his first chelik in response in Tesvav in 15. Just to give a sense of where he lived, he was in the 1400s to the early 1500s, 1405 to 1508. That's an extremely Baruch Hashem. That was a arichus yamim. He was the, the um, I believe the why, the reason why he the Mahari Mintz is called Mintz is because he comes originally from mines in Germany. And he, then he moved and he spent actually half a century almost as the Rav of Padua in Italy. Padua was an interesting community in the, in, in the, interesting, in the reason that um, it had a small Jewish community, but it was well known because it was one of the only and earliest universities which accepted Jews. So a lot of, the, a lot of very interesting Jews crossed the gates of um, this, this particular university. And he was the Rav there for this very small community, but he was an internationally acclaimed Paisek for many years. So here's what he says. And by the way, it's a pity because this Tshuva, as just an example, is pages after pages after pages. This little section is, a, is a sort of an addendum to the Tshuva. It's the end section of the Tshuva. So, you know, it becomes famous because it talks about a controversial issue, but it's, it's a pity that the rest of the Tshuva and all the incredible Torah that he has to say is, is, uh, is ignored, perhaps, by, um, um, or, or perhaps overlooked. But nonetheless, let's, let's take a quick look. And this is, of course, a subsection of this section of the Tshuva itself. But it's worthwhile just to get a sense of his tone, to get a sense of what he really says. Now, let's remember, what did the, what did the Aretz article say? That he, what was his perspective on this minag? He was a negative perspective. So let's, let's, let's read this and get a sense of it. Here's what, he, here's what it is. This is the original, one of the original printings. So he's Bapurim. So he says that, he a, that they would wear, what's a partsuf? Masks, right? So people would wear masks. And he says, he's quoting the Mizmor in Tehillim, which sounds like it is, across the board, right? Young men, young ladies. Elders altogether, that's the Lashon of Tehillim. Hinei ro'isi shekvar posak lahatir ahuvi v'amisi m'chutani kracha dekula bey avkas ha-roichlim reish kala v'reish goyla ha-eshel ha-godol ma'arenu rabi el-yokim segel. So he quotes that there's a particular rov who he gives incredible accolades to. Right, the, the head of the, the diaspora, the Kulabe, everything is inside of him. He has got an Avkas Rachel, sort of the treasure chest of the merchant. So he gives a lot of very, very um, uplifting descriptions to this person, who happens to, by the way, be his son-in-law. <laughs> okay, just to appreciate this. So he, his son-in-law is a Rav, at this point in time, I believe, in Germany. And he says, I have heard 
that he paskened, Vohoitzi koor mishpatoi kasher nimukoi imoi. By the way, notice there is a little bit of a cadence here too. And he expressed like light with the depth on his side, meaning to say he's right. Vrayasov muchachim olov ke'ilu yotzumi piha gvura. And he says, and what he said is so strong that it seems as if it was said at Sinai. Right? Uh, right, he says, Alkein hamaharher acharov kamaharher achar hashchina. And therefore, thinking, meaning questioning his psak, would be like questioning our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Meaning, say, this is very serious terms, right? He says, And he says, uh, and he says, I also want to add to his psak, which was lahatir, to wear masks on Purim. He says, Not in any way to question his heter. And not to even substantiate his idea. He doesn't need me. And his proofs are much stronger than my, my proofs. Right, so you get the tone over here. So he says, Aval, Basi, Litol, Schar, Shiovoi, Mikashura, de Mitzvah, Litain, Tamul, Havi, Raya, Maro, Al, Kacha, Gedolim, Chasidim, Oilam. And I just wanted to add a little bit so I could be part of, you know, the bandwagon to say that I was also said that it was, it was all right. Right, Shinis Gadalti at Slom, I was among the Gadol Chasidim Oilam who supported us. Asherau Benehem, Uvenoisehem, Chasnehem, Vakalosehem, Loshim Oisam Partsofim, Vashino Big Day, Big Day Ish, the Big Day Isha. Is I grew up and I saw the greatest of the world, and they all saw people dressing up with masks, and there was there was a certain level of cross dressing. And he's They should have said something, right? They, they, they were living at the originations of this time. Now remember, we're in the 1400s here. The argument is is that in the early, the, perhaps the late 1200s and 1300s, when this Lent custom started arriving. So says, if they had a problem, they would have said something. He says, we're not just dealing with, you know, a neutral action over here. We're talking about an Isra Cross-dressing is an Isra It's a Pasuk explicitly in the Torah. It must be that it's absolutely mutar. Cannot be that there's a, even a thought of Avera. Pilagov, it's Sidoiki, Mukram, Gershom, Boine, I'm not sure that Patsua is Hamedaber, Maharer, Achar, Amitran, Shell, Mitason, Shell, Gedolim, Vachasid, Oilam. Not like that Gershom, who also happens to be a Rov who's in Germany at the time, and he criticizes him explicitly over here, and he says, Sorry, this is not, not appropriate. Uh, also a younger Rav than him. So he already, it already indicates that there is dissent to the Minag, but he does, disagrees with that. So let's just, you know, he goes through his rise, and there's another whole column of discussion, just to be very fair. So not something which can be uh, summarized in one moment. But one does see, from actually reading Rav Yehuda Mintz inside, from reading 600 years ago, the way it's responded to, he seems to be pretty clear that it's Mutar. Right, do you notice that? Means that like, this, this is a halachic compendium. The response is a halachic compendium. This is not a poem. And he seems to be saying pretty clearly that although there are dissenting opinions, it is fine. And one of the, one of the things he says is if it had not been fine, then somebody should have said something, right? Should have been, it should have been decried um, in Italy or in Germany beforehand. That's his, his, uh, his argument. So this is, the, this is the starting point of our discussion. So we have to think about this broadly. Like, an argument. 
So the significance of that argument is the Correct, correct. So here's the issue. It's like this. The first time a negative practice arrives in Israel, let's say a practice which is a non-Jewish practice in Israel, immediately at that point in time, that's when you should have heard the uproar. That's when you should have seen the the, the responses. That's when you should have seen the anger. That's when you should have seen the, the, the community tone setting in the literature. And he's saying, I don't have that. And I'm seeing from the previous generations that are allowing their children and in-law and children and, in, and, and their, the, the, their young sons-in-law and daughters-in-law to wear these parts of him. He says it cannot be that it's a, that, that it's a problem. If the, and certainly if there's Issa Darius at all. Good, so that's another point you need to think about. Good, so I want to I I <coughs> respond to exactly that point. Which, which would be swept under the table in the Jewish community, and there would not be a response. Bingo, right. So again, coming back to the idea of the extreme response. Let's come back to the idea. So let's say what would be written up in the community as a response is infractions, right? So the infraction would be the cross-dressing, because that's a biblical problem, right? But what about the rest of it? Meaning, meaning you say dressing up in general. Why, why would they be responding to that? I mean, say, let's say somebody in those days wanted to dress up as Mordechai. Right? So, is there any Isodorais on dressing up as Mordechai? No. So, it doesn't make it, it doesn't hit the radar screen, because it's insignificant in terms of responding to in Halacha, as an example. So that's just the limitations of this. We're seeing it only in the extreme form, as it appears over here. So, that's number one, yes. But Mutter doesn't mean recommended. Good. Two things are different. Right? You're 100% right. And by the way, it is a debate. So in coming back to the Mari Mince, there is a debate about around this. So as an example, there's, I mean, there's numerous examples. In numerous communities around Europe, Europe, starting from the 1400s onwards, we'll see numerous Rabbanim responding to this. And I have to admit that many of them, when they talk about cross-dressing, are very negative about it. And, the, and a lot of the reasons they talk about it is there's an Isodoraisa. And they also say it leads to, it leads to, leads to a lot of mingling, leads to other problems. So here's an example. So if you take a look in Halacha, how does this play itself out? Take a look at... Um, one example, Rabbi Yossi, uh, if you take a look on page four, this is the Bach Rav Circus, in his commentary on the Beis Yosef, or sorry, on the, on the tour. It says, uh, I'm not going to do the whole thing, but in the line, let's say, look at line 16 at the very end over here. He goes through the different possibilities of the limitation of the Isur of Loisilbash, of the Loisilbash, of the Isur of not cross-dressing in the Torah. Is it, in every case... Is it only when trying to be among the opposite gender? What? There's a whole long discussion in the In the end, he says, V'ein oleinu, by the last underline on line 16, V'ein oleinu lo'mar bozeh elo hanach lohem li'yisrael mutav shi'yushogigim v'loi yuhuyu mezidim. He says, look, I, I says, I, I'm going to have to, li-. they're not listening. I'm telling them and I'm shouting from the, uh, from, from the pulpit, they're not listening. So rather let them do it in a case of, anin- this is a, this is a, this is a halacha, let them do it in an unintentional way rather than in a purposeful way, because that'll be more serious for them. So it's Do you say in an He says yes in an Isodorais as well. Anybody who has Yirash will recommend to their house. He's going to listen to them. He says, 
says so he thinks it's inappropriate. You should turn to your, to your house. You should turn to those people you have influence on and say, don't do this. What's this? Cross-dressing. Cross he doesn't say not dressing up on Purim. He just says not cross-dressing, which seems to be the issue. But why? Because it's an Isidoraisa. What's, 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 what's the halacha lemaisa? What do we see the halacha lemaisa? So we see if you open up a regular shulchan aruch um, in Hilchos Purim, dressing up on Purim is not one of the halachas there. The only discussion is, is dressing up when it, when it involves an infraction. So take a look in source 7 Ramah. In Taf, Reish, Tzadi, Vav. Uma, Shenagu, Lilboish, Partsufim, Purim, Vegever, Lovesh, Simlas, Ishavi, Isha, Clay, Gever. Because it's only for simcha, it is clearly not in, uh, done ideologically. It is done simply on a you know expression of the frivolness, uh, fr- uh, frivolousness. Uh, forget, forget the word. You know, joy and happiness um, on on Purim, and therefore it is a frivolity. Thank you, and therefore it is allowed. And, and this, is the, this is what it is. And he, the Mishabura quotes on the, on the Shla Kodosh who says one should avoid doing this. There are later poskim who are mefakbeik on this. So for instance, if you look at the Arach HaShulchan, he says, maybe, maybe you know, when it comes to cross-dressing, and it's interesting today that we don't see that generally speaking, right? Generally speaking, it's, it's a question that most poskim today would say, it's a, dress up fine, but don't, don't necessarily cross. Okay, let's, let's just look at a few other um, aspects of dressing on Purim that also relate to this. You see, it's what, what, is, what the argument has been made in the Jewish Encyclopedia and in this, uh, in this article is that the general idea of dressing up on Purim arrives from a custom in the Christian, the Catholic world, um, which is this pre-Lent uh, masquerade, which originates from this, this Mardi Gras, this Saturnalia. The, the issue is, is that there seems to be other practices related to dress on Purim, which don't seem to be derived from that. So as an example, take a look in Source 8. This is the Maharil. Mariel is, is living in, West, in, in Worms in Germany in the 1300s. Okay, so we're in a different area at this point in time in terms of geography. And this is what he says. He says, So he's talking about, um, he's talking about, People on Purim who wear Uggs. No, no. <laughs> um, sorry. Getting the Shira mixed up. I'm so sorry. Okay, so uh, that was last week. Um, people who wear Kilaim on Purim. And he says, he says halachically speaking, we, we touched on this last week, but there's a, there, there is a discussion in the Gemorim Sachim about if a person wear, a person who sells Kilaim, and the way they would, wear, they would sell their garb is that they sell their wear, is that wear it. Right, this would be this would be important in a, in a certain way on a, on a number of levels. This all transports from place to place. Also, it avoids certain tariffs. Right, in those days, you know, they would, they would walk into your house and demand a tariff based on anything you have in your house if you're wearing it. So in this case, you're not miscavin lahanas levisha. You're not intending to enjoy it. Right. So in that case, he says, "Shemati shemori v'rabi hagoin marisegel." So the, the, the Mari Segel was concerned about wearing Kilaim on Purim. So there's a debate in the early Rishon, the early Halachic Rishon about wearing Kilaim, by the way. And this is also part of the discussion in the Ramah that we saw. I just skipped over that earlier on the Dark Emotion and the Ramah. So it's an interesting thing yeah. This does not seem to be a practice which is originating from Lens. Right? We don't have any indication that they were specifically wearing wool and linen in the Lent parades on the Mardi Gras, right? But it seems to be that there are certain envelopes which are being pushed in Yisura Daraisa when it comes to 
Purim and wearing clothes on Purim as an example. Yes, you're right, and that's how he paskins la'alacha, you're right. Yes, inachinami. That's all I wrote. You're right, you're right, you're right. Inachinami, Rabbi, you're right. But what I'm pointing out over here is, historically speaking, it wasn't just the cross-dressing which was the concern on Purim. It seems to be other issues surrounding dressing up on Purim seem to be emerging, which seems to indicate that there is this practice of dressing in general which also pushes envelopes. And it doesn't seem to be necessarily related just to a Mardi Gras doesn't seem to be less related to Shrove Tuesday. Another example. Let's take a look. This is fascinating. The Maaseh Rokeach, there's a few Maaseh Rokeachs, but this one is the Ruan written by the Masud Hayrakach, who is a, obviously a Svardi Chacham um, from the Tripoli in Libya. There was a, most of the Jewish world in the 1500s, more than 51% of the Jewish world lived under Muslim rule, just to appreciate that. So we're the greatest of postgame coming from the, from the uh, rule under Islam. We don't know that today because uh, most of them were kicked out. All 800,000 plus of the community were, uh, were booted from the Arab lands in, in the last 70 years. Um, and nobody in the world really cared about that. Um, but nonetheless, we have, we have such rich history from, this is from Tripoli and Libya. Can you imagine a Jew living in Tripoli, Libya here today? today? So he, he quotes in his introduction to the Rambam, he quotes in the name of Rabbi Avram ben Arambam. That means to say we're talking in which territory? We're talking in, uh, we're talking in deep in either, in, into Islam territory. He has what he says. So children would, would decorate their faces and wear sort of the color, color their hands. He says he's worried. This practice is spreading and people are not noticing. So again, here's an interesting thing. This seems to be reflecting a Muslim practice, right? What is interesting about this is, again, another practice which is originating not in a Catholic, a Catholic setting, which seems to be arising, and the Rabbonim are concerned about the spread of this minag, but nonetheless, what is it related to again? Dress. It's another infringement of, we'll call it dress code, so to speak, which is, a, which is finding its way into Purim. What I, what I would like to argue over here is you see, you see that, in general, dressing seems to be something on Purim. It seems to push the envelope too many times in different levels, whether it be Kilaim, Lois Silbash, whether it be, uh, whether it be this issue of, of what, the Ram, what the Rabbi Avram ben Avram feels is inappropriate in terms, of, in terms of what should be done in shuls. He doesn't give a specific reasoning. Nonetheless, there seems to be a notion of dressing on Purim. So where does this come from? So there are a number of different ways we could, we could, uh, we could look at this. I'd like to suggest... One interesting approach, which is, which is yielded by Rav Gedalia Oberlander, who had an uh, essay written in Tafshin Nun Zayin in Or Yisrael, which is a halachic compendium. And uh, so that's a, a number of years ago, 14 years ago, he, uh, sorry, 24 years ago, he wrote this article. Um, and he quotes the following Gomorrah. The Gomorrah says in Sanhedrin, this Gomorrah is not talking about Purim. The Gomorrah is talking about a practice of moilech. <coughs> moilech would be when children would be given to their avorazara. They would be passed through fires. And this is a practice the Torah explicitly prohibits. Here's what the Gomorrah says. You can only do it when you pass the child over the fires in a way of passing. So all it would be is that there's a lattice work of bricks in the middle and a fire on either side. So that would be apparently the practice in the world, and they'd pass the child over as a custom of a ritual of polytheism. That's the way they would do it. Then, Rava Omar, Rava, in explaining what it would look like, he says, de puraya, like the leaps of children on Purim. 
That's what the way you're doing. What does that mean, like the leaps of children? So Rashi, Rashi says something very fascinating. He's actually quoting a much earlier source. Rava Avar Kemeshar Vasa de Puraya, Enoi Ma'avira Baraglov, Elo Koifetz Baraglov. It's not that you stepped, you jumped. Kaderech Shatinoikos Koifetzim Bimea Purim Kesheosa Chafira Be'eretz Va'esh Boer Boivul Koifetz Misofa Lesofa. And Purim, they had a practice where they would have a pit of fire and people would jump over the pit of fire on Purim. Ever done this? Ever seen this? <laughs> okay, we should, we should get this going in the shul parking lot, right? <laughs> so, nonetheless, so what, what, what is this all about? Where did this come from? So for this, we're going to look back much earlier in history. We're going to look to the words of the Aruch. The Aruch is a safe which Rashi quotes copiously. It is written by Rav Natan ben Yichiel of Rome. So in the 1035 to 1106, very early, very early practice of others. By the way, this is before the origination of the Lent, as it looked like in the 13th, in the 13th century. Here's what he says. Very interesting. Um, this is on the top of page 6. This is in source 12. Here he goes. Um, let's see whether the a good starting point is over here. Um, here we are. On the top of the, the second column on the left, he says, In the second line, There was a minag in those days. They would make an effigy of Haman. They would hang him from their roof four or five days before Purim. Can you imagine? Like this will put Halloween to shame, right? And they would make a barn fire. So throw the effigy into the fire and they would sing. So they would have, a, then they would jump over the fire. So that's the practice the Gemara is referencing. And he says, and he says, Kolama Beskovitz, that's why it's called a Mishar Vasa. He's talking about where this practice originates. Then, skipping a few lines, he quotes the Gemara in Sanhedrin about Shavar. And he says the following. At the end, it's very interesting to see this. Where's the, his actual quotation? Let's see it over here. When this, no, let's see where it is. He talks about this is the practice in Elam and Bavel. He talks about this practice being something which is in the area of Babylon, in, in the area of um, Iraq. Which is, by the way, if this is true, this is a minag which is coming back all the way, all the way to almost 2,000 years. This is a very, very long, a, ancient minag, which is that there's an effigy of Haman which is burnt. And the fire they burn him over, they would jump from one side to the other. The Gomorrah references this minag in relationship to Molech and what it looks like crossing over the fire and what type of fire do you have to cross over. You have to jump, you can't step. Okay. Um, makes the odds all the much more exciting. Um, so, now, what do we do about this? So, there's the, the, this, this essay, which is written in the Oriusrael Journal, Rav Gedalia Ober, Oberlander argues the following. Very interesting thing. He says, first of all, you should know that the practice is still in effect in, Tun- in Tunisia, and Jero, um, um, Jer, um, in Jerova. I'm not sure that, if that's Jerona. I'm not sure. He points out that the practice is, uh, is in practice. He says, now, take a look at it in line 5, in, the, in source 13. Jerova. Jerova, thank you. It could have been that they made these effigies of Haman. 
What do the Christians think? They're not burning. Hey man, what do they think? They think they're doing it again. They're killing our Savior again. Right? He says, And they're just saying it's the ancient, the ancient antagonist, but it was really their Savior. So he says, maybe they were, th- this minhag of burning the effigy of Haman became under, under attack. So what do they do? They dress up people like Haman to avoid it being a problem of burning an effigy, which is why in many communities don't have that practice anymore. Where did the dressing come from, he argues? Is maybe the dressing is dressing up like Haman, to sort of as a as a shell or remembrance of this much ancient, more ancient practice from the days of Babylon, which is which is dressing up as Haman and uh, and perhaps even Mordechai. Very fascinating argument. Again, we have very little to know as to how it really developed. This is one argument. I would like to say, I would like to uh, to, to to point out that uh, that there are numerous ways that this minak could have developed. But let's look into you know when when the, when the article argues. In the in Haaretz, there is no reference, there's no connection in Purim to, in the Megillah to anything to do with dressing up. I do think that is incorrect. Because the last time that I read the Megillah, the Megillah does talk about, does talk about the value of clothes. And in fact, in numerous places. Here's an example. So let's, let's look from the Jewish perspective. How about dressing up from, a, from the Torah perspective? Source 14, Megillah's Esther, Peridad, Pasuk Aleph. Umarachai Yadais Kol Asher Na'asova, Yikra Mordechai Es Begadov. One of the central moments, the image of what Purim looked like. When did Mordechai find about the decree was? He's ripping his clothes. And he changed his garments to sackcloth as opposed to his um, big, day, uh, big day malchus. And what, isn't it interesting that in the t- that, that moment when Mordechai, that the turning point in Mordechai is celebrated, what happens to him? He goes out in the town wearing the garments of the king. Right? Not his own garments, right? He's wearing the garments of the king on the horse. So he was wearing somebody else's garments. And when Mordechai finally gets the promotion, after all is said and done, that's what we say. Mordechai had so many fnei melech in Perekhes, Bilvush, Malchus, Tcheles, Vachurva, Teres, Zohav, Gedolava, Tachrich, Butz, Vagamon, Vahir, Sushan, Vsalava, Samecha. That's a lot of words to describe what he's wearing. Right? And he's wearing shatnes, right? <laughs> Which is, by the way, Maybe it wasn't just pushing the envelope when it came to that. Maybe there was a, maybe there was an, there was an element of this original this original description over here. There's a whole halachic discussion. How could Mordechai wear this? Did he close his clothes or not? Right. There's very, a very interesting discussion. So it means to say, let's not kid ourselves. It's true. Yes, there were certain practices in Lent, but in, in the Megillah itself, clothing plays an extremely important role. What are the, what are the what are the, what are the later Bale Machshovas say about dressing on Purim? Here's an example. The Sefer Minag Yisrael Torah in Hilchus Megillah says he has a few very fascinating possibilities. In Source 16, he gives many reasons. He quotes the Elia Number one is Mordechai dressed up. So maybe we dress up in the memory of Mordechai. There's a discussion. What happened? Why was Bnei Yisrael in such a terrible rut now? And so one of the, the notions that Chazal talk about is, 
is at the same time this is all going on, just before the Persians take over, there was this whole, this, this, there was this whole operation in, the, in, this, in this valley where Nebuchadnezzar had the statue and everybody had to bow down to the statue and the whole discussion about Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah who refused to and were thrown into the kiln and they came out alive and the whole business. So they say because one of the reasons that Chazal say is because that they bowed down to the Tzalem and therefore this is one of the reasons that is attributed to their, their imminent demise at this point in time. So the Gemara says, but they only did it lifnim, which means they only did it externally. When they were bowing down, they were doing it just to pacify the king. But this wasn't because they believed in this. They were in, they were in, a, they were in a, a moment of jeopardy. What did they do? They made a decision. It wasn't really Avodah Zorah. Is it not really Avodah Zorah? Why did Khan and Mishra Zorah jump in? If it wasn't Avodah Zorah, there's a whole discussion about this in Sefer Daniel Perik Dalit. Right? But at the same time, this is, this is what is being, is being discussed. So it says, they only did lifnim. So what do we do on Purim? We're on costumes show. This is only the externality. That's not who we are. Right? When we bow down, that wasn't who we were. As an example, next uh, he says, quotes the Kol Ariyei. On Purim, there's a halacha that Kol Anybody who sticks out their hand to ask you for stock, you give. You don't, you don't investigate. That's very embarrassing. So maybe people also started dressing up because it became to, to sort of couch the fact that they could ask in a way that wasn't going to embarrass them. So he says, also, we know that the miracle Purim was not overt, it was hidden. So maybe we are actually, in a certain sense, when we're dressing up, we are reflecting Hashem's Hanhagel, which is also not overt, also hidden, which is, which is being expressed over here as another example. So meaning to say, dressing up Purim isn't just something which, you know, suddenly arrives. There is, there is deep tradition to this. One last, one last idea perhaps in this, in this vein, we're not going to do the Ksosachoshim for now, but one very, very fascinating idea, and that is from the Oye of Yisrael, the Apta Rav, Rav Avram Yeshua Heschel. Um, so we're talking Poland in the 1700s in Mezhebush, um, and he says the following. Very, very, very interesting, very interesting, deep idea here. This is such a powerful thing. This is something, you know, up till now, we've spent a lot of time no, unfortunately, we, 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 you know, sometimes we learn and we're responding. Let's not respond. Let's talk about the actual Torah of it. So he has what he says. He says, when is Simcha? How do we arrive at Simcha in general? What, what, what is Simcha? How, how do we define that emotion? So he explains that Simcha is the product or the byproduct of a realization of change, of immediate change. Here's how he says it. He says in the first line, We're right there. Al pisoid. He says, based on deeper secrets. He says, you know, the child Yitzchak is called the child of laughing. Why did he call him the name of Yitzchak? Why? Because it was a change of something to its opposite. Avram expressed was a notion of complete generosity of giving. So the, the, we'll call it, the idea of chesed is a notion of water. Yitzchak, 
He, pre- he produced a son who was completely the opposite. A child who was fire, not water, not giving and flow and gentle. Yitzhak was, was determined. Yitzhak was specific. Yitzhak was, was constrained. So Kabbalistically speaking, metaphysically, when Yitzhak was born, the fact that a chesed individual could produce an individual who was so the opposite to him, that was just a, sort of like a, a watershed moment. You know, you have somebody who's dressed up in a particular way, and they wear some other clothes, you laugh at them. Why is it, why is it laughable? Because their state doesn't demand that. You know, it, it's so strange to, to, to see that. So it means that when people change their clothes, it's an expression of that same notion of change that, that occurs. I remember there was, there was an old movie in South Africa called Zulu on Mastup, and, it's, uh, and there's, a, there's a particular scene where this Zulu chieftain is coming into, you know, into, uh, into society and he's sort of like, you know, as any of these typical movies have. And, and you know, he's never seen anything and he walks into a, into a casino and a man walks into the elevator and then two minutes later, <coughs> out of the elevator wa- walks a woman. And, and by the way, it's the same, you know, the same guard, they're bartenders or whatever it is. They're wearing the same cap and he's flabbergasted, you know, into this room walks a man, out of this room walks a woman. What happens in this room? Right, he doesn't understand how elevated it is, but, you know, it's laughable. Why is it laughable? Because you don't expect somebody to change. You don't expect somebody to look different. So he, he's, what the, the Aptero is saying, is that ultimately what's happening over here is the dressing is an expression of what happened on Purim. Is this, this, this immediate change. We basically thought that Congress had passed a law to kill all Jews. And within 11 months, we actually, not only did we negate that law, we, we actually ourselves now were able to kill those anti-Semites. And Mordechai was elevated to the highest station. Esther now has the real ear of the king. The base of Midrash is potentially in the eaves of being able to be rebuilt. That's remarkable. That change is laughable. It's, a, it's, it's laughable in the sense of Simcha and Chedra because of that change. Like Avraham Avinu giving birth to Yitzhak, that's why his name is Yitzhak. So again, there's, there's much more to this. One last comment. There's one, one last comment which is worth thinking about. Is that I have no doubt that the secular world influences us. There's no doubt. And I'll give just, just as an example. When I was a, 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 young, a, a, a young man, and I know you're going to say it's not so long ago, <laughs> but people, when, when I was growing up, people would dress up for Purim as Mordechai and Esther and Vashti and, uh, and Haman, right? Those are the dresses. Have you ever seen any Mordechais running around recently? Ninjas, maybe, right? You know, the Joker from Batman, maybe, right? So, I, meaning to say, we, we understand... We understand how, how costumes work. Well, we are certainly very much influenced by the outside world. Let's make no mistake. But at the same time, and by the way, and that's why, that's why it is the, the role of a community, it's the role of leadership in the community to say sometimes when lines are being crossed. And that's not the way we, we, we do Purim. Purim is a little more holy than that. But at the same time, to say that that's all it is, to say that dressing up Purim is only some sort of Catholic practice which arrives from the streets, I think is also a little disingenuous. It seems to be that there is something to do with clothes on Purim. And that practice expresses itself in different ways over different centuries. And there perhaps are different ways that it could have originated. But there is something holy about it. Perhaps the way it was expressed sometimes was over that limit. 
foodful thoughts. Emetz Hashem, I think from the from the Abtor, the Abtor's words, let's think about a Purim Emetz Hashem, a Purim of Simcha, a Purim of Chedva, a Purim of change, a Purim of change in ourselves and in our Kodesh Baruch Hu for us. They should be benevolent to us and save us from our enemies even today. Amen.